what keeps me going and the fuel, what fills my bucket is when I get to hear about what my company has done to help other people with their lives. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, thank you for coming back and joining us again for another guest interview. I don't know when or or where you personally listen to the podcast. I I tend to listen to them when I'm driving or maybe when I'm working out or, or something like that. But whenever you find it convenient to listen to the show, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for coming back each and every week. I really do appreciate you. Well, our guest for this week is a little different than what we've had in the recent past. We've been a little negligent in highlighting successful industry accounting careers, and I think it's important that we showcase successful careers leading up to CFO and VP level positions as well, since that's the direction that many of us go with our careers. Our guest today is a great example of success in industry. Stephanie Cavanaugh joined us from Austin, Texas for this episode. As you're going to hear, although Stephanie started her career in public and that launched her into a CFO role for a small organization only after about five years in audit, that experience led to her being able to progress into positions at that level with billion dollar organizations. And yes, that's billion with a B. She's been in the medical industry now for a while, and later in the discussion, we get into what she enjoys about the medical industry specifically. I particularly enjoyed that part of the interview. As always, I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion. I will say that in the interview, we had a little technical difficulty with the connection, but that clears up pretty quick, so so please be patient with that. It really is some good content. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online as well. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have audio and written accounting career-focused materials, books, blogs, other podcasts, and even some tools for employers as well. If you're looking to grow your own career or if you're an employer, one thing you may want to check out on our site is our courses section. We have courses there for employers and job seekers. We have courses on hiring, courses on advertising accounting positions, and then several job seeker courses as well. You can find that at whereaccountsgo.com by clicking on the courses item on the top of the menu. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's our guest for this week, Stephanie Cavanaugh. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for doing it. Well, for the audience, we have Stephanie Cavanaugh in the Austin, Texas area on the show with us today. And I have put out a call, so to speak, to some of our former guests for a few individuals in senior management roles in industry because we've been a little light in that area recently. And I think it's important for us to highlight how you can move up to CFO or, or VP of finance if that's something that you're working towards, particularly for our listeners that are earlier on in their career. And from that request, Stephanie was referred to us, and I thought she would make a great guest 
for that purpose on our show. Stephanie is currently the CFO for a medical organization in Austin, but she's going to share her full career story with us going back to the early days so we can get a better perspective on the milestones that got her to where she is today. Stephanie, I definitely do want to get into your role now, but first I'd like to walk the audience through your full career so that we can you know, get an idea of, of the progression and those key points. What initially led you to think about accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? So somewhere in middle school, don't remember exactly, we had you know one of those career fair projects um, where you take a look at all different types of careers. And I had read something back then about, at least at the time, which was a long time ago, that accounting was a really good field for women. Um, they were starting to make inroads and, you know, being able to, you know, have career progression and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So for me, that was the seed. That was the start of, hmm, that could be interesting. And of course, I was good at math. And so um, from there, you know, my high school years, I started doing some volunteer bookkeeping and, you know, ran across a couple of CPA mentors um, through some of those activities and through family and really paid attention um, to them and what they were doing. And probably the combination of those things, um, at that point, I was hooked. So, you know, it was head down at that point, working hard to get the grades to scholarship into some sort of, you know, good college accounting program and, you know, was successful at, you know, being admitted to UT Austin. And, you know, of course, they had a really great reputation back then and still do for their accounting program. And of course, then being at a major university like that led to public accounting. You know, when I first started, I had no idea what public accounting was. No one in my family had really done any of that or been an accountant. So I was learning it all as I went and, you know, following the lead of advisors and friends and colleagues along the way. But I would say the seed was all the way back in middle school and and the thought, the original research that said, it's a good place for women. They have good opportunities. Wow. I hear high school a lot. I don't remember the last time I heard middle school. That's interesting. <laughs> it does reach back a little bit, yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did they have a, an accounting class for you in high school or a bookkeeping class? Because I, I found they it did. to volunteer. Yeah, they actually did uh, a couple of things there. Um, there were two accounting classes, accounting one and accounting two, and I loved those. And then there was an organization, Future Business Leaders of America, that I got involved in and that then had these competitions you would go to. And of course, there were all these different level accounting tests. And, you know, I did well in several of those and was real involved in FBLA. And, you know, all of those things, you know, continued to build my interest and desire to pursue accounting. Mm. FBLA has come up actually a few times on the show. The the accounting profession probably needs to do more to support that organization. And you know, I wonder if it's still a club in high school or not. I don't know. I haven't been involved at this high school level in a long time. In some high schools, it definitely is because we had a teacher come on the show about six months ago that is a CPA that's still very active in FBLA. He's a high school teacher. And so, yeah, the program's still out there and doing well from from what I understand. (laughs) That's good to hear. So I saw that you started in audit. Was that something that you you always knew you wanted to do as well? Was that a really clear choice or, or was it sort of just, you know, that was what's available? How did you end up getting started at EY? Right. So great question. 
No, I, again, had no idea what public accounting was about. And, and quite honestly, when I was, you know, going through my college courses, I preferred tax over audit. Of course, there was, you know, all the professors and, all, you know, all of the networking said, you know, you really ought to do public accounting when you first graduate. It's a great place to begin your career. You get exposure to a lot of things, but you'll have to choose audit or tax if you're going to do, at the time, it was big eight. If you're going to go to one of the big eights, you, you have to do one or the other. So I always thought I would go the tax route, but, you know, through lots of conversation, you know, decided to give audit a try for a year or two and then transfer over to tax so that I could get a little bit of a a variety of exposure. But after a year in audit, I stayed in audit the whole time. Um, What I saw was, you know, at least the first few years in tax, my perception was they spent all their time in the office and never interacted with clients. And when I was in audit, I was at client sites constantly and, you know, all over the city and all different, you know, types of, of people I was interacting with. And that ended up being a really good fit for me. So I never did go over to the tax side, but uh, really, you know, enjoyed all of the exposure and the different variety of companies that I worked for as an auditor. Mind you, I worked at companies, I worked at um, half, my career was half in Austin and half in San Antonio. So in a smaller office, you get to see a lot of different companies throughout your career. That might be different in a larger office. If you were in a Dallas or a Houston, you, you might be in one of the larger accounts and, and not necessarily see as many different companies. Interesting. Okay. If you had it to do over again, I'm curious, would you have tried tax? After a few years, or maybe that's not their question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I mean, I, again, I if I hadn't enjoyed what I ha- was doing, I would have transferred, but it ended up bringing me, all those steps brought me here. So if I had done tax, I'm not sure I would have made it to this spot. Okay. You know, I couldn't tell for sure online, but it looks like you may have exited EY after about five years directly into a controller or CFO role. Is that how it worked? It did. I left Ernst & Young, and so I started at Arthur Young, and it became it merged with Ernst & Winnie, and so became Ernst & Young um, right as I transferred to San Antonio. And so half my career was here in Austin at, with EY, and then the other half in San Antonio. And when I was ready to leave public accounting, more from a personal life perspective, I had confided in one of the partners, and through him, received a referral to the CFO position for the San Antonio Symphony. So yes, it was directly into a CFO role, but a a small not-for-profit organization. So very different than what I do now. Um, Although, you know, an excellent start. So, you know, being in a small, and that was a $6 million budget organization. And so a much smaller organization, there were two of us in accounting, me and one other person. So, you know, yes, I had a CFO title, but I did a lot of things as most people in nonprofits do and wore very very many hats, which was an outstanding experience for my first transition into industry because it is very different to work in industry um, than in public accounting. Public accounting gives you sort of the rule book and what controls should look like and, you know, how to communicate things and, you know, interacting with people, but it doesn't necessarily teach you how do you write a payroll check and deduct the right amount of taxes or, you know, how do you uh, operate the software that generates an AP check, the nuts and bolts of accounting operations. So that was a, a really great place for me to be. And I saw the broad spectrum of, yes, the CFO role, communicating with the board and, you know, interacting with banks and, you know, figuring out where the capital is going to come from, you know, as well as making sure everybody got paid on payday. 
Okay. So it was a great experience and quite fun to be in a music organization. I had no music background at all. Couldn't read a note, you know, never played an instrument, but just um, did have sort of a passion for supporting nonprofit entities in our city and what was good for the city. And so that worked well for me and why it was appealing. And then at, I was in my late 20s-ish and because it was a performing organization, I could get tickets to anything in town. It was quite lovely. Uh, really enjoyed that point in my life. Fringe benefits. That's nice. And, and then people used to always ask me, I'd tell them I worked for the symphony. They always say, oh, what instrument do you play? And I would always say the keyboard, the computer keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for you know talking about sort of the the differences because I was curious going directly from audit to a CFO position, you know, where the gaps might be and and what you found yourself having to get up to speed on. You know, I didn't know if possibly you were in charge of HR as well, and sometimes they lump that in there. So I was actually in that organization. If it wasn't putting the show on the stage, which we would refer to as operations. It wasn't selling a ticket or getting a donation. It was under my purview. So yes, HR, IT, finance, accounting, reception. I mean, you know, as as mundane as, you know, who's going to cover the desk while the receptionist is at lunch, kind of office administration, risk, all of insurance, Basically, if a piece of mail or a question came into the company and it didn't have something to do with one of those three things, it it was on my desk and it was my task to figure out how to deal with it. So I developed a real appreciation for HR departments and all the compliance that has to be monitored and taken care of. And, you know, definitely, you know, at the time, the symphony didn't have computers on every desk. We had like four computers for 25 people to use, um, sort of community computers. And and during my tenure, we ended up getting a computer on every desk, which then meant we had an IT help desk, right? So just, you know, how does help desk work and, you know, just the nuts and bolts of all of that type of effort and continual training and troubleshooting and backbone, things as simple as making sure the office is wired for, you know, things to the computers to communicate, all kinds of things I wouldn't have expected, um, being, an, you know, a CPA, but uh, you do what it takes to get the job done. And that was definitely a big part of my job there. The accounting was not hard at all. <laughs> that was a wonderful first job out of public accounting. I mean, a challenge, I'm sure, but great experience. Great experience. Wow. Well, take us forward from there to your present position because I, you know, you know the milestones and the highlights better than I do. So I don't want to miss anything. You know, where did you go after the symphony? And you know, take us through to, to now. <laughs> Would love to. So when it was time, you know, just for me, I had been there for, at the symphony for five years, and it was time to start thinking about what comes next. You know, it was either move to other cities and larger symphonies or, you know, to something else in San Antonio. And the big thing about classical music and symphonies is that they really struggle to survive. And what I was seeing was a lot of symphonies around the country that were essentially closing their doors because they couldn't get enough charitable contributions to survive. Half of all of usually of their budgets are donation based. Um, So it's a complicated and difficult place to be. 
But that meant for me, you know, as I, because I went there on a referral and I certainly appreciated that, but it meant I wanted to be, in my mind, smarter about the industry I chose next. You know, I came through uh, public accounting right as all of the savings and loan here in Texas died and then uh, watched people try to transform once an industry stopped existing. And then I was watching this with the symphony. So really wanted to be in an industry that was going to be around um, was my focus at the time. And so healthcare was one of the areas in my mind where I felt you know, there would always be work in that type of industry. Now, certain diseases or issues may, you know, go away and not be a problem anymore. Like we got vaccines for polio, polio treatment was no longer an issue, but healthcare as a whole would always be an industry. And an opportunity came up that was another nonprofit organization, but it was in cancer treatment. And I shared a lot of board members from the symphony and what ultimately ended up being the Cancer Therapy and Research Center. And that was a controller position, not a CFO position. It was a larger organization. And so that allowed me to step into a pure accounting position, controller level, and get exposure to the healthcare industry. So, definitely took that position and was there for a couple years. And that's where I tell people, that's where I learned the nuts and bolts of medical billing and medical collections. And so, of course, I already knew how to do AP and payroll and those sorts of activities, but um, it was a much more sophisticated ERP system or computer, you know, accounting information system, which was Oracle. And then also all that goes into billing payers versus individuals versus Medicare versus Medicaid, managing all of those types of activities were the two big things that I got from my years at the Cancer Therapy and Research Center. And that was the beginning then for me of being in healthcare. And that really stuck for me, you know, that this was a good place to be from an industry perspective, but also, you know, gave me the experience um, to launch myself within that industry. So as I, you know, narrowed my focus to just a controller role and there was an HR department that handled HR issues, I was so grateful. (laughs) I understood completely what they were what they were having to deal with and I was so grateful I didn't have to worry at night about oh did we you know have the proper EEOC policy or do we have our OSHA post up or any of those kinds of things that they have to deal with and etc there was an IT department and all those other kinds of things so that was really nice to move into a pure accounting area and start to have you know a little bit more substantive accounting work and so then I kind of stayed in that controller VP finance role from there I actually left San Antonio, moved to Austin for love, um, followed my boyfriend to Austin, and then found a company that was in the orthopedic implant space that was looking for a controller. And they were a public entity. And I had had a little bit of public company experience as an uh, an auditor. Um, So that was a nice fit. And so I came in and was responsible for everything but cost accounting. There was a cost accounting manager who handled all of that sort of activity. But of course, having to do all the SEC reporting and, you know, uh, monthly financial statement packages, you know, had to interface a lot with Randy was his name with Randy, um, you know, to figure out the answers to all of the gross margin and cost of goods sold and inventory type questions. So I was able to, you know, learn, you know, through him, you know, that side of the accounting process while I continued to, you know, do my thing in the AP payroll, cash management, SEC reporting, you know, financial analysis type activities. That job for the first couple years, um, when I tell people, you know, when I joined them, it was at, the stock was at $3 a share and it had gone public through a 
reverse merger into a shell corporation in, in order to get the cash that was in that shell. And then I think that, I don't remember what price that was, it was before I got there, but I joined when it was $3 and in the first two years or year, maybe it went down to $1. I don't think I had anything to do with that, but it was not a great situation. <laughs> and the board ultimately said, and this is before socks, the board ultimately said, you know, we're pretty small as a public entity. We're not getting enough tension. We're, a, you know, a very small fish in a very big sea. What we need to do is grow through transactions. We're not growing fast enough through just product development. And it was an orthopedic implant manufacturer, so knee, hip, and shoulder implants, competing against very big companies like Johnson & Johnson size, Stryker, uh, Smith & Nephew, you know, big name companies. So we launched an acquisition campaign. And so uh, I was there for 10 years. And eight of those 10 years, we were buying companies. Every year, we would raise some money one way or another, but we were in a public market. So there was always some sort of SEC filing or, you know, or shareholder vote sometimes. So a proxy, um, you know, after a first couple transactions, we started having large bank debt come along with it. And then towards the end, we would have public bond debt, you know, debt with our transactions. But we grew to, I was there from 35 million in revenue to just under a billion in revenue. So we did that by doubling in size with every transaction. So 35 million in revenue, we bought another 35 million became 70. 70, we bought another 70, became 150 and et cetera, all the way up to a billion dollars. So really big transactions, a lot of due diligence, a lot of, you know, due diligence about the companies we were acquiring slash merging with, but also on the part of anybody who was giving us any money. So we were constantly being reviewed and analyzed and requested, you know, information requested and, and then SEC reports to be filed with all of that. And it was a wild ride. But a lot of fun. I learned so much there. And after every transaction, we would then set about integrating, you know, typically mergers of equals every time. Um, so every other year, we were reinventing ourselves and taking a look at both companies coming together and saying, where's our best talent? Who's the best at payroll? Who's the best at IT? Who's the best at help desk? You know, who's the best at engineering? Who's the best at, you know, everything in the accounting department as well? AP, AR, cost, you know, all of that, you know, figure out who was staying and unfortunately who was going and, you know, how all of that evolved. And, uh, you know, ultimately, we ended up going private through a Blackstone Group transaction. And uh, a year after that, they merged Encore Medical Corporation with Don Joy Orthopedics in California. Our president CEO was ready to retire. So that CEO became the CEO over both and corporate went to San Diego. That's when I exited. So it was a beautiful, wonderful experience. I, I worked really hard, learned a lot and kind of moved up in company size, sat in the controller chair the whole time. Um, but my role evolved tremendously over that time frame to where, you know, I was a, a billion dollar company controller in a, in a very public environment. And that, you know, created a whole world of, of vision in terms of potential next opportunities. So I exited at that point. I think next came a year with a, a mammography radiology company. It was very, very small and private, located here in Austin. I wanted to stay in Austin. And what it was doing was transforming. It was acquiring what we called analog mammography clinics, mammography-focused radiology clinics, and immediately turning them into a digital environment. So it was right at that time when radiology was 
transitioning from the, the screen, you know, the films you would see on the doctor movies, uh, you know, with the white behind it and put the film up there, you know, getting rid of that and going to, you know, a lot of IT computer equipment where you take the pictures digitally and then read them on your computer. And, and small um, mammography centers, you know, were didn't really have the resources to invest in that big capital transition. And so we were acquiring those entities, converting them to digital and then consolidating them around the country. So that was great fun. And of course, all of my acquisition experiences, why I transitioned well, that was to a CFO role. And unfortunately, after a year, they, they moved their headquarters to Dallas and I did not want to go to Dallas. So left there, but again, did a lot of consolidate, you know, did several transactions in that year and, and worked on the consolidation, was responsible for IT. So a big part of that digital transformation was um, underneath my purview. Um, but I had an IT director who did a lot of that work and he was really great. Let's see, where'd I go from there? I went to, um, I think, Hardin Healthcare is next, which was senior services. Um, so much larger organization based here in Austin was private, about $750 million in revenue. Um, and what they provided was assisted living, skilled nursing facilities, home health, and then something called personal attendant care, which was new to me. But essentially, it was for the elderly. It would be, you know, someone who's homebound and couldn't go grocery shopping. You would hire a personal attendant to help them go get groceries once a week, for example, or someone who to come in, you know, every other day and prepare several meals and then have those available because the person couldn't cook for themselves anymore. And essentially, the state was willing to pay for that in order to keep that person out of a 24-7 skilled nursing facility because that was very costly. It was cheaper to pay someone to come into their house two or three, four times a week than have 24-7 nursing care when all they really needed was someone to make sure they take a shower or brought them groceries. Simple tasks. So this business, Girling was the, the subsidiary company name, had built this large co- company in Texas um, where we reached all over. Um, all the rural areas were served by our company and, and the, the state agency that governed that um, and the Medicaid piece of that was totally um, appreciative of our organization's ability to do that and provide that service. While I was there, we completed a big transaction, $150 million in revenue. So it took a to just under a billion of a hospice organization, and that fit quite nicely. Uh, we also started a, a smaller organization based out of Georgetown with nurse practitioners, which has become quite a hot topic since that time, 10 years ago almost. NPs are, you know, sort of the wave of the future and are in high demand. And if you don't know, a nurse practitioner can do more of what a doctor does than a nurse can. It's taking some of the pressure off of the limited supply of doctors we have, especially in senior care. With our aging population, the need is expanding and we don't have enough people to treat. So that was an exciting business. I was there for about four years, loved that company. I sat in the VP finance role there and the big task was to get it go public ready. So the the thought was the company was going to go public. So there were several of us kind of working in the background, you know, getting this big private company ready for the rigors of being a public company. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending upon your point of view, it sold to a public public company. And so in in that respect, I choose to believe all my work was helpful um, (laughs) um, in it being ready to be absorbed by a public company and uh, is now part of a much larger organization that focuses on the care for the elderly. So I found myself on sabbatical again, um, is what I refer to my periods between jobs. 
and heard about this little itty-bitty company I'm at now, Apollo Endosurgery. I actually had known about it for a while. Um, Austin's kind of a small town, and if you've been around for any period of time, especially in the med device area, you kind of know all the different companies. And little bitty Apollo had been toiling away at developing devices to essentially transform laparoscopic surgery to what they call endoluminal surgery. So basically, you know, using all of your natural openings, so your esophagus, your colon, you know, and and for us, but other companies are also working on nasal passages and ears and those kinds of natural openings and using the tools in those spaces to do surgery instead of having to come from the outside and create scars and potential infection sites and all of that sort of other scary stuff that comes along with surgery. And Apollo had reached commercial viability and completed almost an unheard of major transaction. Apollo was at about a million in revenue and bought a company or a a piece of a company that was a hundred million in revenue. Um, So I knew they were in desperate situation um, and could use help. Um, So initially kind of knocked on the door for, you know, can I help you guys out for a few months and or is there any opportunity here? And a CFO position, the CFO position opened up and, you know, after talking for a bit and helping out for a bit, I joined the team. And we set about essentially integrating this very large book of business into this very small company and then also did a reverse merger to go public and have done several capital raises since. And I can dig into that more, but perhaps I should pause here for a moment. <laughs> and, and and see if I've gone on too long. <laughs> no, no, great. Thank you. You've given us a lot of detail, and I, I really do appreciate that. I was hoping to go through all the different steps, so thank you. I, something that occurred to me as you were talking, I understand why you got into medical, you know, um, the dependability of the industry. You've been doing it a long time now, though. I'm curious at this point what you enjoy about it because you've been entrenched in the medical industry (laughs) and accounting for a long time and you've seen a lot. What keeps you coming to work every day? What do you enjoy about it? Well, what healthcare has done for me and what I like when I get the chance is when I get to get out to, you know, uh, one of our conferences that our salespeople go to or when they have people come in the office, customers who have had success stories. It really, you know, we accountants spend a lot of time in our desks looking at spreadsheets, right, and analyzing numbers and recalculating things and trying to make, you know, give useful advice to, you know, our coworkers in other departments or, you know, our managements above us or or our board or our owners or whatever it might be. And we spend a lot of time doing that. And that's good. And I'm good at it, you know, and that does bring me joy. But what keeps me going and the fuel, what fills my bucket is when I get to hear about what my company has done to help other people with their lives. So back in the orthopedic space, when I would hear stories or a customer would come through perhaps about, you know, how they were, you know, Olympic level level runners and, and their knee blew out and this new type of knee that we've created that's a little bit different than everybody else has really made the difference in them being able to get back out and run, not just walk, but get back to what they were doing. Things like that. You know, here we deal a lot with obesity and or um, issues along the GI tract. And so when cancer is a big one. And so when we solve those kinds of issues for people, those stories, you know, really keep me fueled. And I like being associated with that and that all the work that I do, crunching numbers and looking for ways to improve, you know, revenue margin or costs pays off in something like that. Yeah, I think too often we as accountants, we look at our role as much more limited than it really is because we are part of the greater good. And if we weren't doing the job we were doing, 
you know, the place couldn't exist. <laughs> Cash has to flow in, in order to you know keep people on the job and, and stuff like that. So thank That's you. right. And a lot of what I've dealt with has been, you know, great medical needs, you know, in terms of cancer and an aging population. And now a lot of what we do here relates to obesity and as well as cancer. And, you know, every dollar we can save helps us treat another patient, basically. At least that's how I perceive it. So all of that pays off and, you know, the greater good of our community. Yes. Yes. I wouldn't be doing my job well if I didn't ask about, you know, the last, oh, seven or eight years in healthcare and how that's changed and how that may or may not affect your daily job. I, I don't know. I mean, what have the last, I don't know, close to 10 years been like for you? Has it been more difficult in accounting in the healthcare industry? More work or just checking different boxes? How has the change in the U.S. healthcare system affected accountants? <laughs> Right. I think, you know, in terms of our day-to-day jobs, you know, cutting a check or, you know, for payroll or for AP or, you know, creating a financial statement or filing a tax return, you know, the how we're managing healthcare in the U.S. doesn't affect us as much as SEC and GAAP and, and the IRS and bank rules and all of those kinds of things. Those affect us more. Where I think the biggest things that I see, you know, affecting is sort of where is your cash coming from first? So if when people are debating, you know, let's go to a national health system or, you know, let's when Obamacare came to pass, you know, how you, who you were billing potentially changed. But the fact that you billed somebody and went through a collection process didn't. So, you know, perhaps the address and who you called and maybe there were, you know, pieces of paper to be filed that were were required that weren't before. They're different pieces of paper. And so that AR process, you know, perhaps was different. Maybe the way you got at evaluating any sort of, you know, reserve estimates, you know, needed to adjust to how that revenue stream adjusted. But honestly, in every business, that's kind of the, it's different in every company situation. So, you know, yes, it's affected it, but not too terribly much in that respect. I think just the overall healthcare is too expensive and how do we figure out a more cost-effective healthcare solution? Well, that's affected, you know, us all, the whole company, not just accounting in terms of we all have to get better, smarter, faster at what we do. And, you know, how can we deliver more service with higher quality for a lower cost? And that has been a constant, you know, part of our culture my entire you know, healthcare career. I mean, it's not new these past 10 years, although there's perhaps been a lot more media about it these past 10 years. I do think it's, for lack of a better term, really neat what you're doing there at Apollo or what the organization is doing. And I didn't intend to get into this deeply, but I know that one of the leading causes of death is going to the hospital and catching an infection that you didn't have when you went there. Right. And so, yeah, if you know, and, the, and the work you guys are doing is helping minimize that. So it's a lot more than just debits and credits. <laughs> it certainly is. And it's exciting to be here in particular at Apollo. It's exciting to be a part of and watch this device that we developed gaining traction. And it is, you know, gastroenterologists are really um, starting to embrace it and understand how to use it and and starting to expand their thoughts about how to use it in ever increasing ways. And and it's really, it's something to watch. It, It really is. 
It's great to be a part of. It's important work. Well, I told you I was going to be respectful of your time, and I have three questions I end every podcast with. I want to make sure I leave time for those. Last question before that, though, because I'm curious with your career. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice based on what you know now, what do you think that might be? Oh, my. I'm not sure what that would be today. You know, every decade, there's a new answer to that. So I guess, you know, here where I am right now, you know, we are not cash flow positive in our organization. And so we still are, you know, raising capital for our organization. And so I would tell myself, go back and spend more time understanding all that capital formation, you know, literature you were studying back when you were getting that dual degree in in accounting and finance. You know, I definitely, you know, got the cash is king, you know, knowledge just from my work experience back in the symphony days. So, you know, I get that. But where you get capital from changes from a nonprofit organization to a public medical device company. And, you know, sure wish I had paid closer attention. That being said, I'm learning it now. You know, that's sort of the key to anybody's success, I think, is continual learning and always keeping your network and lines of communication open and looking for advice from others who have, you know, followed the path before you. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's what I'd say today. And (laughs) (laughs) I guess that in there, you know, it changes all the time. Sure. No, that's a good answer. Thank you. It's much more in-depth than than we get a lot of times on that question. So thank you. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, and so I I probably should get to those. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Well, we talked about how I've worked for several companies that have been sold or were high M&A and then, you know, uh, ended up having um, sabbaticals and moving on to other opportunities. And, you know, I would say when I look back on that, my proudest moment was the first time that happened to me. And here's why. It's a little bit of a twist. I was a controller there, as I mentioned, but I had several managers reporting to me and we all were essentially let go um, as everything moved to San Diego. And what I was thrilled about was, you know, after our period of looking for our next opportunity, all of my managers found controller jobs. And I just felt really good about the fact that all of them were able to move up to the next level based upon the experience um, that they received while they were there. Um, you know, one of the things I, or phrases I carry around about leadership is leadership's about three things, getting better first, helping others second, and then getting better at helping others get better third. And I felt like I really did a good job of helping others get better because they were all able to land jobs one level above where they were. Proudest moment. Wow, that is an important skill as a manager to develop others. Thank you. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, of course, the better, because that's how we learn. Right. So I'm going to be pretty open here. I was a new CFO at one of my companies in the past, and I found out that my CEO was borrowing money from the company. When I inquired of my CEO about it, I was told that it had been approved by the chairman of the board, the private equity firm that invested in us. But it was all very confidential, and he had worked out a plan to repay the loans. And being new and, you know, learning my CEO, I accepted that story without verifying it for several months. And in hindsight, I wish I would have called the chairman that very first day and verified all that to be accurate as presented to me. Probably can't give you a whole lot more detail than that since there were improprieties involved, confidentialities. But um, what I would say is my advice here on this call is just know that we sit in an extremely important position in accounting and finance. um, And we have to always be diligent to do the right thing for our companies and for all of our stakeholders in our companies um, and keep everyone fully aware of what's going on no matter what. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. That is an important lesson to learn, and we want to believe the best about people, but yeah, that's not always the case. Thank you. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Okay, well, gosh, there have been so many things I've learned. And again, that's another one where, you know, every decade, it's another, you know, it's a different one that's the wise man once said, I've tried to share a bunch of things on this call. But I guess what I would leave you with is a couple of phrases that I keep close. And I look at pretty regularly. And one is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so guard that time and pick those people well and evaluate that regularly because I think that's true. And then the second one that I remind myself regularly is what you permit, you promote. So as a manager, you know, when you're looking the other way or you're not addressing something, in the end, you're actually promoting it. And so be mindful of that as you move forward in your career. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I bet you are a tremendous manager. I can tell. Yeah, from the insights you shared. Thank you very well, much. Well, thank that you, really Mark. Is. I appreciate that. No problem. I've learned a lot through this. Thank you. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We have a tremendous amount of accounting career content there for you. And we've just recently launched a job board. Plus, of course, we have blogs and books and all our other podcasts as well. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Stephanie, I, I know I've said this a few times, but sincerely, thank you very much. There's so, we probably could go on for a couple hours, but I know you don't have the time <laughs> for that. And there's so much we uncovered in this conversation. So thank you for joining us. It's been an honor and a privilege, Mark. I appreciate your inviting me and I hope it's useful to someone out there. Well, thank you to the audience as well. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.